Hey guys, before we get started, this episode of Beer and Other Shit, the podcast is brought to you by High Season Co., a social media agency with over a decade of marketing experience who are crafting the way brands are perceived online. These guys aren't just marketers, they're liquid enthusiasts, craft beer nerds, hip-hop heads, and Gary Vee disciples. So is your social media looking tired? Are you having trouble getting to your customers? High Season can make it happen. Check them out, highseasonco.com. That's highseasonco.com. Now let's drink some beers. Are you a brewhead? I'm a brewhead. Are you a brewhead? I'm a brewhead. Y'all a brewheads? Yeah, we brewheads. So pour a glass of craft beer, we can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brewhead. I'm Scott Beer Colby Enthusiast. Welcome to episode 113 of Beer and Other Podcast, the first ever live podcast from Bogot October Fest. What a lineup we have, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! These four very attractive young men uh, sitting with us today. We're gonna have a great chat. If you could all introduce yourselves and uh, tell us what your brewery, is, where you're from, and what you do. Let's start. Uh, and uh... oh, bring it back. To oh, that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, sorry. My bad. Did we start this? Okay. Matt, you want to start us off? Apparently, I do. Apparently, I I'm Matthew O'Hara. I'm a brewmaster at Bogus All Natural Brewing yeah. Company here oh, in Van Creek Hill! Oh, is that it? That's right. I'm Michael O'Hara. And I'm currently the founding brewer at Side Launch Brewing Company. Yeah. Are you ready for the long name? Christian Klaus Riemerschmidt von der Heiden? Hot work, beer, bows and friends. Yeah. That was romantic. I like that. I'm Bryce McBain, the brewmaster at Halcyon Barrel House, which is hey. uh, yeah. side project. That's right. Yeah, give it up, Bentley. What a lineup. So we're gonna start off. We're gonna have uh, this is like an extended lightning round. If anyone's ever heard the podcast, we do a lightning round at the end. We're gonna do an extended version of that. Uh, we're going to start with some serious stuff and then get into the more ridiculous uh, element of it. Um, first question, Scott, tell me. So, question, and we're doing this to all of you, so I think we, yeah, we so can we'll, go down, we'll go down the line and we'll answer in order. So, how did you get into beer? And what's your story? Matt, we're going to start with you because you're the man of the hour. Yeah. Um, I think I got into beer like so many other people do is you get introduced to it by adults when you're a child. Um, you know, it's having stuff for your dad's beer or whatever it is. Um, and then and then maybe you forget about it for a while. Uh, in my case, I got reinterested in beer when I was in my late teens, growing up in Montreal. And it, it was at this point in time, this is the late 80s, uh, that th- this was really the advent of craft brewing in Canada, and I was introduced to beers like uh, Massawippi, uh, Saint Ambroise, yes. Pale Ale, uh, and Boreal, and all those beers made an impression on me because of the fact that they were distinctive beers. Uh, I already had some experience through my father mainly uh, who actually also liked beers with character uh, so 
from him I was introduced to Brodor and uh, that, that to me stood out as well. So I, I never looked back after being uh, introduced to beers with uh, a pronounced flavor and I was actually looking for work uh, at, at the time in my early 20s and decided, well, why not, you know, knock on a local micro, we called them microbreweries at the time, uh, shop. And so I got my first job in brewing at McCausland in Montreal. And uh, very humble beginnings, like uh, entry level position, I was working on the line. But I progressed uh, fairly rapidly uh, through the ranks. I was involved in kegging, and I was an assistant to the brewers, and then uh, I I'd never looked back, and I was uh, it was kind of hook, line, and sinker. I was uh, really drawn to brewing because of the fact that it was a job that involved uh, a fair amount of hands-on work, physical labor, but you wouldn't get bored ever because there's so much to think about, and uh, so gratifying to do that. You know, like this is. Uh, this to me remains like a very artisanal endeavor and you, you never stop learning and that that to me is the real the real kind of uh, passion that you develop for brewing. So, so you've been into beer since you've been about six or eight years old you'd say? Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably two. But. Two, okay. So you've been teething. Yeah, you're going to start them young, right? Loves the, loves the right, right, right. <laughs> Um, let's go down the line, I guess. The question again is, uh, how did you get into beer and what's your story? What's your beer story? Okay, in my case, there, I have to admit, there's a bit of nepotism involved. <laughs> um, my, uh, I, I was born in England to a Canadian mother and an English father. And my mother was related to the Molson family. Okay. So all that represent money in nineteen. No, it doesn't mean money. <laughs> <laughs> At least I haven't figured it out yet. Not yet. <laughs> anyway, um, in when I was twenty-one, I wanted to get out of England. My mother had died at an early age, and so you know there were a number of reasons that I wanted to get out of the country. And I got a job with Molson. And it, I, it was going to last about six months, maybe. I was actually more interested in the automotive industry. And it ended up lasting 10 years. And at the end of that, I realized, and it should be pretty obvious now when I think about the way things are gone, uh, that I'm not a big brewery person at all. And so uh, that's when I got out of the business in 1986, out of that business and was fortunate to meet a, a, a German brewer, a brewery owner who wanted to put a brew pub in in Toronto. We did that in 1989. Um, it was, there was nothing else like it around at the time. What was it called? It was called uh, Denison's, oh, oh, which okay. was actually... I'm glad you're clapping because nobody remembered the name Denison's. Um, we, were, we were more known by our bar downstairs, which was called Growlers at the time. But we made exclusively German beers. And I think the probably thing that really put us on the map was, was the wheat beer. Was that Queen of Victoria? Queen of Victoria, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And actually that, that place is now run by Molson Coors. And it's called Batch. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
but the wheat beer was, 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 was very unusual at the time. You had, it was Bar Academy, and then it was... Uh, it, it was actually our place from 89 Academy, until 2003, wow. which was 14 years. Wow. Uh, never made any money. Hey, oh yeah, this is the other, I mean, just, just a little aside, you know, Matt happened to work there <laughs> from 95 till 99, sometime around then, I would think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I am always blown away by the fact that he ended up meeting these people that wanted to put a brewery together called Bo's, and he ended up being the head brewer there, and he still is figure. still Sane and running the place. All, <laughs> all this yeah. Because in my opinion, he's had a lot tougher task than I've ever had in my life of producing an incredible array of beers and I guess keeping his sanity. Anyway, um, when the brew pub closed, I kept the, kept the beers going for about uh, five, ten years through contract brewing. And then I bumped into some people who wanted to produce, uh, put a brewery together in Collingwood. We built it in 2014. It's called Side Launch Brewing Company. Yeah. And uh, we kept those beers from the brew pub, plus added a few others, such as a pale ale and a sour and a, it's a kettle sour. And I've done a few funky things too, but um, they were not widely released. You strike me as a funky guy. Oh, really? Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> is that funky English? That's a good thing. No, it's good. <laughs> anyway, that's my story. <laughs> so what's the question again? Um, what's your story? And what's my story? My, my, my story, um, actually, the struggle is to keep it short, but um, so I'm like a Bavarian in exile. So I um, started brewing 34 years ago, um, born in Munich, raised in Bavaria. And um, I was, uh, you know, raised actually on a farm. And when you uh, are raised on the farm in Bavaria, the next brewery is only, you know, mile in every direction. So um, I have to say I was um, exposed to great brewing, great beer, and great, um, you know, history of brewing at the age of four. And uh, I remember having my first beer at uh, a very young age. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, the, the ritual is when you when you when you get married on a farm, you cut down the tree and then uh, the tree is actually put on a wagon and the wagon has a, an area where you can all sit down and then you drive from farm to farm. Um, you sit on you sit on this tree. Uh, together you actually take the uh, the bark off. Uh, you put this tree off and then um, you actually put a sign up and say you know we, we wish good uh, you know fertility to uh, to the couple that just got married and. You know, being nine years old, somebody decided, you know what, you know, I have to try this beer, that's great. And um, uh, it was way too bitter, uh, it, was, it, was, it was nasty. Uh, I, I still remember the taste, but um, um, what, what, what really hooked me on, on brewing was that um, it is so interlinked to agriculture, it's so interlinked to tradition, to rituals, um, to very few ingredients, and this constant balance between, um, you know, the evil alcohol, the heritage, uh, the farming, the marketing, the sales, and the uniqueness, and the you know the art and science of brewing. Um, I, I did an apprenticeship as brewer in Malster. Um, I uh, worked for the oldest brewery in Munich, Augustiner, you know, founded 1768. Uh, very very proud of that. Um, and uh, went to university, did my brewing degree, and uh, worked for Guinness in Ireland for for quite a while. And uh, 
when Guinness was celebrating 250 years, I said, yeah, so what, you know? <laughs> what's, what's 250 years? Uh, uh, anyway, so um, I brewed beer in Africa, I lived in Nairobi, Uganda, Tanzania, and um, so for me, you know, I look back at 34 years of brewing, from craft brewing um, to commercial to being on the board, um, and one of the amazing beers that's in front of me, it's one of my beers, actually, oh, that, uh, it's called Tag Work, uh, Bows and Friends, and um, I'm delighted that uh, I was able to brew that with a, with a, with a Bose team, and um, Tag Work stands for a day's work, so the German name Tag means day, and work means work, and a Tag Work actually is also one acre. So three acres make a hectare, and uh, a Tag Work means that without any industrialization, that's the work you could do, and uh, for me, uh, making beer is hard work, making great beer is even harder work, and uh, there's only so much you can do. And um, celebrating slow brewing, celebrating um, a way of um, really creating something that comes from the earth, but needs a lot of, you know, little helpers. Um, that's for me, it's, it's all about brewing beer, so um, that's what makes me excited. And uh, even, even after more than 34 years, I'm, you know, beer is my passion. Shall we do a prose to that? I'll prose to that. Prose, prose, prose. I don't know why you guys are until the last. I'm the youngest brewer here. I know. Sitting on a panel with legends. I tried to start at your end. Your story's going to be a little longer and probably a lot more amazing. I got into brewing in my mom's kitchen with some friends. I got one of those like homebrew kits and ah. completely fucked it up. Hey. Uh, just did not make beer. I made something that I now know is just wort. At the time, I thought uh, it was fine. I was like, let me just taste it. And that actually put me off brewing for uh, a good like 10 years. And then I focused on just uh, tasting beer. So I, I bought this this book uh, by Michael Jackson, the beer writer, not uh, <laughs> not a <laughs> So I bought that book with uh, one of my buddies, who's actually sitting over there, and we made an admission. His name, shout him out, it's, shout him out. Phil. So we took this book, and we made it our mission to go through and try all the beers in this book. And in that book were some of the fantastic beers, like some of the most fantastic beers I've tried in my life. Uh, and there's two I will bring attention to, to shape my career in beer. Uh, Rodenbach Grand Cru is one Yes! That is the beer that was essentially responsible for me creating Gravity Well. Uh, it's yes. an homage to that. Yep. Uh, I didn't want to rip it off, obviously, because you can't rip off someone you're, uh, you're like, are inspired by. Yeah. You did. <laughs> you did. <laughs> it could be argued you surpassed it. I don't, I don't know if it could be. Shots fired? Anyways, the, net, the other one, uh, is is Duvel, uh, fantastic Belgian golden ale. Amazing. And those beers just it, it opened my mind to what beer could taste like. And from that point, I kind of got obsessed with beer. I wanted to, like I couldn't buy the beer I wanted to drink. Uh, so I started making it myself at home. And from there, I ended up, was very lucky to get a job as a brewing assistant at a local brew pub in Ottawa, where I was living at the time. And worked there as quickly brewing their full production batches and just fell in love and then went to a brewing school at the World Brewing Academy, so uh, in uh, Chicago and Munich. 
and it was fantastic. And came back from that to get a job at Bose, where I've been doing for seven years. And recently, I uh, got the opportunity to start Halcyon Project, which is all barrel fermented uh, with mixed culture fermentation. Great beer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I'm not sure the story, but uh, no, that's perfect. Thank you, guys. So, the next question: If you weren't a brewer or in the beer industry, what would you do? Anyone can start. Take your pick. Uh, I'll, I'll begin. Please. Um, <laughs> please, please, Matt, begin. <laughs> I, I, if I was, if I wasn't a brewer, I think I'd be an investigator. Oh, wow. Private eye, private eye. Private eye. You got the hat. You wouldn't get far in that outfit, I'll tell you that. Dead giveaway. I'd like to explore problems and troubleshooting and that kind of thing. I don't know. I have an investigative mind. That's actually really gangster. Really good answer. Hella gangster. Uncle Graham. I would probably be, and this is really boring, I know, but I'd probably be a refrigeration mechanic. Wow! wow. <laughs> Give it up for refrigeration! Because I understand refrigeration because I'm a brewer and a mechanic and a mechanical person. And refrigeration mechanics earn uh, probably a lot of lot of money, way way more money than a brewer does. Right? How else are you supposed to keep your beer cold? Especially if you move down to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Half of Quebec does. Yes, I like that. Well, I would go back to the horses. You know, the horses did the hard work and pulling in the uh, heavy wooden beer barrels into the brewery or out of the brewery, and uh, I, I, you know, find the. Uh, you know, most satisfying job sitting on a on a on a horse buggy and uh, bringing beer to the consumers who can really buy it. So that's what I would do. Ride that horse, ride that buggy. Smart. I thought this one is a, a softball because I would be a farmer, like hands down. Yeah. I'd okay. I'd grow the things I want to put in beer, but I would let other people put them in beer. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Either way, I love it. Let's keep it moving, uh, being like a kind of a rapid fire type question and answer period. Uh, is craft beer growing or stagnant? Is the market oversaturated or is there room for everybody? <laughs> Getting serious now. Don't all answer at once. I know this is a little bit touchy, but. I definitely think it's growing. Yes. And um, is there room for everybody? Probably not. I think that people who are making poor beer probably won't last for another 10 years, uh, or five years even. Uh, but I think there's always room for a good breweries making good beer to you know, get out there and sell it. And I don't think, I don't think the market's stagnant in any way. No. I think it's uh, growing and constantly changing. great to hear. Yeah, multi-billion dollar industry, if you look at the financials. So it's so a big, so big industry, um, not, not room for everybody, um, but I also think we have to rethink the definition of craft, because craft is a bit too general, craft is a bit outdated. Uh, I think what we really have now is those that are authentic brewers, uh, hands-on, and we've got those brewers that are brilliant marketeers, which is equally brilliant, um, but we all put them in the same bucket, and I think the bucket is starting to separate a little bit, would be my spin. 
Okay. Cream rises to the top, right? That's I would say, say right? that the biggest concern at the moment is the contract brewers. Okay. By that, I don't just mean somebody that happens to get a beer made by another brewery. I mean the well thought out marketing organizations that might be a couple of Bay Street boys and uh, someone else who wants to hit the craft brewery, uh, craft brewing scene big time. And unfortunately, these people take up a huge amount of shelf space. And uh, I would hope that these people have disappeared in five years' time. Do you think... I find that whenever we do Ontario podcast, that contract brewing conversation comes up. So if the... Uh, the brewery has uh, aspirations to, or if the contractor has aspirations to open their own brewery, does that change the conversation or is oh, it? Ab absolutely, that completely changes uh, the situation to me. It's the people that evidently have no intention of building a brewery that just come up with a brand and get it made by a, uh, you know, a local brewery of some kind. I mean, there are a couple of them around. And uh, they're very aggressive too in the marketplace, and this is the problem. Yeah. They can afford to be aggressive. Gotcha. So it's the people throwing money at it to make money that is the problem, not the people in it for the craft of beers. That's what you're kind of pointing at, right? Yeah, I mean, a big difference between somebody who's contract brewing because they don't happen to have a brewery, uh, either temporarily or, or they just got into the business, and somebody that really has no no intention of building one in the first place. Word. Uh, do you have, and I guess it's for everyone as well, do you have an issue with um, uh, people who decide to build their brand via contracting prior to investing a million plus into a physical location? Is that, like if, if, if the idea, because if you go and drop a million dollars and build a facility with no, um, no brand in the market, and that's quite a substantial risk, whereas you could do, you could uh, you know, invest a lot less build your brand over time That's via contracting, particularly in Ontario, it's different in different uh, cities, states, provinces, whatever, but if, if they, uh, you know, maybe they can get some distro, they could get some licensees and stuff like that and really like have the brand, so by the time they their brewery uh, actually opens, there's a bit of brand recognition and they're not really starting from scratch. Is, uh, can I speak please, to that? Yes. Yeah. Um, like I, I think it's really evident early on whether or not a brewery, whether or not it has, you know, bricks and mortar or not, um, the beer really, at the end of the day, expresses whether or not you actually have skin in the game. What? And that's and that's the key. Is that what's important? Yeah, make some noise. Make some noise. It's like drink. It's like drink champs. Have anyone heard the Drink Champs podcast? Is anyone familiar with that? No. No one listen to hip hop in here? Okay, never mind. <laughs> I, 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 you I, I, you I, know what I'm saying? Make the motherfucking noise! <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, definitely. Oh, so is that really what it is I'm about? sorry. Like, skin in the game? Yeah. Well, skin in the game or authenticity. <laughs> I, I, I talk about authenticity a lot because it's all about what is your intent. Are, are you in for anything quick? Are you in for... You know, getting whatever market share. It's, it's like music, right? Are you showing your, yeah? Or are you, uh, are you, are you bringing real, you know, R&B, real music, whatever, right? And, and for Bruce, it's the same thing. Are you, are you in for the real thing? Are you in for a quick hit? And, um, and I think it's not about, you know, 
craft, it's yeah. not about a contract, it's not about you know the big themes we can throw around. It's it's easy to do that. It's more about what is your intention, you know? Are you a real brand? Are you real about sustainability? Are you real about flavor? Are you real about um, your brewers, etc. Yeah. Right. So I, I like to go more about what's in the nucleus rather than how does it look like. Right, yeah. I agree with the question there. It's, uh, it's about quality. Uh, if you can make, if you're a contract brewer, if you're making fantastic beer, you're not actually making that beer. Someone else is kind of contracting that out for you. And there's so many awesome breweries, like basically Ontario, uh, that we don't even need contract stuff. So if it's just like marketing, Exercise, then get the fuck out. Man. We don't need you. Facts. I think I think what it comes down to is, um, you know, how did you put your company together? Were there a couple of marketing people? At what stage did they decide they needed a brewmaster, or do they need a brewmaster at all? And I get very concerned when I see, you know, a, a marketing company that does not have a brewmaster. I, I think you're in a kind of unique situation, Michael, in the sense of, you know, having contracted your beer from, a, you know, of another brewery. Um, so I think you can speak to some of the, I guess, um, benefits and pitfalls of, of doing so. Yeah, I mean, contract brewing is not a great way to make money. You know, you do obviously have to pay somebody else to make your beer and, and uh, it may not entirely be in your favor, but in my case, I contract brewed because I'd lost the brewery that I used to make my beer in, and I wanted to keep the brand going. It's, I think it's when you get a couple of newcomers who may be marketing people or whatever, and at some stage, or maybe at no stage, that they decide that they maybe should get a brewmaster, or somebody knows, knows how to make the beer. When you go to another company and say, we want to make a beer, you decide how to make it, you know, that I have a real problem with. Gotcha. Thank you for clarifying. It seems kind of important to have a brewmaster, you're making beer, someone who knows how to make it. I mean, that. <laughs> I mean, kind of, kind of be of utmost importance, I guess. <laughs> a little bit important. Um, before we forget, Matt, I guess the question to you, the only one didn't answer, um, is crockery growing or stagnant? Is the market oversaturated or is there room for everybody? Okay. Um, I. No, it's definitely not stagnating. Uh, it's becoming more challenging. It's becoming more innovative, I think. Yeah. I, I, but I, I, I believe it's going to be, you know, it's going to be uh, value-driven. You know, at the, at the end of the day, it's going to be our, the people who are able to sustain and prosper going forward are the people who deliver the quality. Mm. Good answer. Make some noise, y'all. Okay, next question. How do you describe the style of beer you brew uh, and what inspires them? <laughs> oh, okay, we're starting on that end. <laughs> None of my beers are too style. I don't brew the style. I don't know, I just, for something along, like along the line, I decided that I'm just gonna make the beer I wanna make, that I wanna drink, and I'm not gonna try to put it into a box. But interestingly enough, like uh, from a sales perspective, people really want to know that information. So I'm trying to uh, find language to talk to people to explain what I'm doing without putting it into a box. 
Now, for anyone who doesn't know, Halcyon is uh, an offshoot of Bose, yeah. and you're exclusively barrel-aged beers, correct? Yes, we okay. do all fermentation in barrels, and everything we do is a blend of uh, different ages or different brands. So, Halcyon was supposed to start as a blendery. Uh, turns out that's illegal in Ontario, so I couldn't do that. Oh, come on. Catherine Wynn, what up? Doug Ford, Doug Ford, Doug Ford, Doug Ford. Oh, yeah. So Bose was really awesome and they stepped up and they funded the project so that I could make the beer I want to make uh, illegally. <laughs> yeah, and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what was the question? That's perfect, perfect. Yeah, your question again? So the question again is how do you describe the style of beer you brew and what inspires them? Yeah, so for me, um, brewing means you, you, you put a twist on something that's already, um, you know, relevant. And uh, on my beer, Talk Work, um, I took a kind of a grand cru approach, which is um, taking a, like a strong Belgium uh, wit ale and uh, combining it with something different. So that's the twist. So I used a quince juice and, and quince um, fruit to uh, re-ferment in the bottle. Uh, quince is not a very, you know, Canadian or American uh, fruit, but it's uh, it's a very ancient fruit. It's a very unique fruit. You can't bite in it. You need to kind of squeeze it and, and work it hard. And, uh, and yet my grandmother, yet my grandmother made fantastic quince uh, quince bread and quince juice on it. And um, so I, I love to I love to combine things in a unique way, just like a chef does. Uh, so taking something traditional still stay to traditional roots, um, but adding an ingredient that puts everything upside down. So uh, that's what I love to do and uh, create a flavor sensation where you drink it and you just want to sip more and more. Rock and roll. Hey. Well, in my case, I have to admit that my bias is towards German style beers because that's what I really learned 20 years ago. That doesn't mean that's where it ends, though, because I've made, accidentally, uh, Roden, really interesting, that was our uh, dark lager put into a wine barrel, which I forgot about for about four months. And I was ready to dump it, and then I thought I'd better take a taste of it, and it was incredibly close to Rodenbach. But I wouldn't know how to reproduce that. But the point is that, um, yeah, my... My bias is towards German-style beers. To me, why would I bother to compete with all the IPAs out there? There are so many fantastic ones. Um, I love sours. There are some amazing sours out there. So I'm pretty, I mean, if I was to condense all my energy into one beer, it would be German wheat beer. Shout out to Germany. Uncle Matt. Uh, for me, like, beer is all about context, and I think uh, cultural context and, and history speak really deeply to me. Um, I think that, you know, I'm really drawn to traditional styles because they make me think about the potential for travel experiences or ones I've already had, and uh, there's nothing better than having, you know, that perfect beer at the perfect place in perfect setting um, that to me that's where it all kind of like all the magic 
combined and it's like really having a love tread with that the guy who created it at Oktoberfest. Make some nice little love tread. Thank you for I want really quick. Episode 18, we didn't, do a, like, we didn't take this podcast very seriously at all like, to start with. And we were doing, uh, um, I was covering a launch of the Farm Table IPA in Montreal. And I was talking to Stu, who is the uh, Quebec GM yes. of uh, Bose. And I was just doing the podcast, he just popped his head in. This is when we didn't take it serious at all. And I was like asking questions about me. He goes, oh, let me get Matt. And I'm like, who the fuck is Matt? Okay. <laughs> and then he came and sat down. And I had no idea who you are. A dead ass. This is like how like serious we didn't take it. And then <laughs> I said to you, oh, they were there that night. Shouts to mom and dad. And I remember saying to you, like, oh, what beer are you most proud of? And you said Love Trev. Like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> so you were the first actual brewer I ever crappily interviewed. So <laughs> yeah. thank, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> now we're doing it like somewhat properly. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, so yeah, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like this kind of mix of um, a bit of idealism and, uh, and the ability to connect, you know, on a really strong emotional level with what you're producing. <laughs> and uh, to my mind, that that's what makes it, you know, kind of transcendent and what, it, what inspires uh, my passion for brewing is so you know creating those mythical moments. Great answer, Matthew. Makes a lot of sense. All right, we're gonna get a little political for a moment. Uh oh. Um, uh -oh. What do you guys think about the whole Mr. Ford Buckabeer business? Being that you're all Ontario brewers, I know. Yeah, but it'd be great to hear it from uh, actual brewers four, four brewers here in Ontario and actually. Is directly. there a barrel aged buck of beer in the works? Down in <laughs> 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 the cheapest buck of beer is yeah. $10 a bottle. Okay, yeah. hey! There's no way I can make bucket no beer. Chance. It's, no chance. Can I get an ounce? Can I get two ounces for a buck? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's just so ridiculous. Okay, um, let's do Does everyone have a well, slight opinion or a strong if, opinion? If it made sense. 10 years ago, which I think, I don't know, 10, 15, I've got God knows how long ago. Why in the hell would it make sense today? There is a rate of inflation. You know? <laughs> yeah, good point. So, I mean, the fact of the matter is, I think buck a beer might be a buck 25 a beer right now. True. But the point is that what brewer would possibly want to make a beer for a dollar 25 uh, without compromising quality in some way? And, and, and I, I, like, I like to come in from a totally different angle, that is, you know, for, forget the financial aspect. You should never be associated with, you know, a real price point, because the reality is, it's, it's from the farmer, it's from the artist who creates the recipe, it's from the brewer who actually steps out of mainstream to create it. Um, so anything that's just about the value of a financial denomination is, you know, F wrong, okay? Absolutely is. You know, how, how, how many places can you go to where you have a truly local baker, a truly local butcher, um, where you can go to a variety of stores, supermarket, where it isn't just mainstream, yeah? So here in Canada, we should really look about, you know, creating more diversity, creating more 
Um, and, and I'm not using the word quality because quality is a little bit relative, okay? Yeah. But we should create more diversity and, and there's no discussion at all about, you know, value or whatever. Um, I, I, I used to live in Vancouver. In Vancouver, for one 600 ml bottle of beer, craft beer, you pay eight, nine dollars. And it's cool, everybody's happy because it's half the price of a bottle of wine. Mm. And uh, nobody's complaining, everybody's happy, and everybody in the supply chain um, is gonna kept healthy. So I think we got it wrong in Ontario. Talk about price, it's absolutely F wrong. Okay, so at uh, the AOS podcast, we do this little thing called the lightning round. It's also been known as the molasses round because it takes way longer than expected. <laughs> they are supposed to be rapid fire questions. We ask you and you kind of just think on the spot and react. Do we have to talk fast? You have to talk very no. fast. Yeah. Double time. And I talk in German. Like so like Sloan's on in 20 minutes, so we have to get through this type thing. 32 minutes, 32 minutes, 32 minutes. So um, uh, to start off, I'm just going to say it. Are you team lactose or are you team no lactose? <laughs> team lactose, lactose, lactose. Lactose be in beer or not? Is there a place for milkshake IPAs? Yes. I didn't ask you. you were, the question wasn't asked to you, Craig. Why? <laughs> I start and say no. Oh, team no lactose. Boom. Team no lactose. Let me say that I hate milkshake IPAs. I hate lactose. However, there is a disclaimer that if people like them, then that's fine. There's a market. Like just because I don't like it doesn't make it wrong. I will never produce one. Are you claiming Switzerland right now? I can guarantee that Halcyon will never produce a milkshake IPA okay. or any lactose beer. Okay. But if someone else does it, then it's a okay. that's fine. I want a barrel aged lactose beer. I just won't drink it. It's the same for me. Well I mean, I will never produce one, but I'm never gonna say that nobody should produce it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's like a fix. A lot of, a lot of uh, Switzerland over here. A little, yeah. You gotta be one or the other, man. I can't be a hypocrite, you know. I, I'm the person who put together the recipe for Tom Green Stout. Right. That's a milk stout. Uh, do I feel that it's a relevant part of the, the overall beer canon? Well, I mean, you can take things in certain directions. What I prefer to do is like try and innovate when I'm not doing something that's canonical. So a milk stout, that's fine. Um, jumping on a bandwagon like, you know, milkshake IPA, I'm not that interested in it. So who did the... Uh she left it. She left it. Keep down the recipe for the banana. Who did the recipe for the banana joint? Yes. Oh. Who did the recipe for the banana one I just tried? Uh, so that was a collaborative piece between me and uh, and, and Frank. Okay. So uh, you participated in another lactose beer. Yeah. Well. yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't an IPA, was it? No, but that oh, wasn't the question. Oh. Wow, wow, Maddie, that's. <laughs> That, that counts. Yeah. I'm comfortable. Yeah, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it. Oh! I'm honored. 
for you to drop your mic on me. Mic dropped on, son. All right, what is your guilty pleasure beer? A beer you would be embarrassed to admit to your fellow beer nerds that you enjoy? Lightning round, lightning round. Lightning round. Cosine. So guilty pleasure beer, guys. Can I jokingly say electric? You can. Wow, savage. The shots will be fired, but you're, that's a, that's seriously not joking. Uh, my guilt, my guilty beer is Coors. Guilty pleasure beer. The guilty pleasure beer is Coors Banquet. Guilty. Guilty pleasure beer or Oh, what? That's an amazing beer. What? It's embarrassing. You're embarrassed? You're embarrassed to say that? No, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say that. Well, it's not that bad. You, 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 want, you want the detail? I or, do. All has changed the recipe. Oh. So I'm embarrassed about that. Because they used to keep it in the brewery for three months so that the breads and the mices would develop. Right. And the beer would be acidic and then it would last, you know, six years. And now they're releasing it straight out of the brewery and it's not acidic anymore, it's not. I just gotta learn, I'm not buying that beer so, anymore. That's my embarrassing moment. Good one. In my case, it's Warsteiner. Yeah. Which, which used to be a pleasure, but now I feel guilty. Yeah. <laughs> because I think it has changed. It's still used delicious. To, it used to be a great beer, and it was certainly fantastic value in Ontario. Yeah. But I'm not sure it's quite as good as it used to be. Uh, yeah. For, well, I, you should also sorry, say but I mean, I wouldn't be feeling guilty about having Halcyon at all. Um, I'd be feeling proud, and uh, you know, my respect for Bryce is absolutely. This is boring. This is boring. It's so boring. Sorry, yeah, okay, I'm good. Yeah. All right, so, the bat 50. Yeah! No! 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 Is this on tape? It's on tape, it's on tape, everyone, this is public. Um, the opposite, beer you would decline under any circumstances. You go to a barbecue, you what? don't have a six pack of love it's tread or gravity well or dry hop sour, all the tag work, and someone offers you this beer and you're like, do you have water, mate? So let's, let's be clear about the question. A beer I would totally decline? Under any circumstances. Yes, let them. Oh, what? Oh, you are uh, savage, sir. Oh, savage. I know the recipe, I know it's been brewed. It's a joke. And it's a, it's a play on true... Right. It's a play on true... Abbey beers, it's a play on true uh, Trappist beers, and it's trying to take advantage out of the Trappist. Fermented, fermented in three days and packaged within five days. The rest is tomorrow. Trash. It sounds like trash. Absolutely trash. I used, to... <laughs> I, I, I used to brew it, and I. Uh... And I would say Molson Canadian. Yeah. Because it's trash. Because it's trash as well. Is it trash? Is it trash? In as much as I like Molson Export, I do not like Molson Canadian. Because it's trash. <laughs> Garbage. Gentlemen, I'm 
I mean, I've cut back on drinking most of those beers to almost, to almost nothing. But if I go to uh, like a barbecue or a picnic or something, someone's like, here, have this beer. I, I don't throw it in their face. I just drink it and Just do. Yeah. Shotgun. You're a good boy, Bryce. I, You're a good boy. I don't like it. But then I just go, hey, well, I've drank some Coors Light at my uncle's barbecue. Oh, wow. I can't say that someone's going to hand me a beer and I'm immediately going to drink for it. I'm going to take a sip. And I might drink for it after I take a sip. So I think that's key. I would never decline the beer that I mentioned, but I wouldn't enjoy it. And I think that's... You're a gentleman. Pour it into the plant that's nearby if you want, you know, whatever. But you would never decline a beer because that makes you a beer snob right yes. away. Yes, right. Oh, oh, that's that. really, exactly. Yeah, I agree with Michael in that sentiment. I prefer to be a gracious guest and, uh, you know, accept uh, the hospitality that's been given to me. But oftentimes I've encountered. Uh, a situation where maybe it could be a craft beer that's on offer, and I kind of regret accepting it, wishing I had gone with another option like wine or you know, mixture. <laughs> water, maybe, perhaps. Sometimes water's a better option. Um, I'm gonna go right to the point here. Favorite beer of all time. Let's not mess around. Favorite beer of all time. It, it could have been something you brewed yourself. Maybe not. Seriously. There's no way that's something I brewed myself. <laughs> I'm not that arrogant to say that I made the best beer. You your own heart, you know. Um, I've had Infinity Mirror, it's pretty damn good. Hey! You know what I mean? It's the hardest question to ever ask someone who really appreciates beer, what's their favorite beer of all time. And that's why we're asking. Like when someone asks me what's my favorite band of all time, I don't answer it. I say, oh, I like this kind of Who's stuff. your favorite child? What's <laughs> my favorite beer? I'll probably have to go back to the two I mentioned earlier, no either no Duvel or Rudolf because they were so influential in my life. Belgium, Belgium represent. Yeah, Belgium. Love it, love it. Um, it. It used to be Orval, but I also told you my dilemma with it. Um, so it would, would be Augustiner Hellas, okay, would be my all-time favorite. In my case, it would be Rodenbach, but not necessarily Grand Cru. Okay. Okay. Uh, in my particular case, it would be uh, probably Sierra, Sierra Nevada Celebration. Oh, gee. Uh, and followed up quickly with uh, Von Trapp, I think, are really killing it when it comes to German style. Yeah, I interviewed him like two weeks ago. Yeah. Five. Um, all right, I'm going to go straight to some. Deep shit. What's the worst beer you've ever made? Yeah, I know. <laughs> We're getting deep. Worst beer you've ever made. 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 Likely you don't do. But every beer first, I don't mind. Uh, so I made a 10% stout called Black Death. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> this was in my uh, like homebrewing days. Like, just a little bit before going pro, and uh, I was experimenting. It's the first time I ever made. It was so bitter and so boozy. It was something. It wasn't good. Worst beer I've ever had, I think. Yeah, sucky beer. Yeah. Makes <laughs> us shit beer. Yeah. 
Um, I did a wheat beer that actually was quite nice, but the problem is I miscalculated the uh, bottle conditioning addition and uh, the uh, the top of the bottle shot through a, a, a two-inch blade of, uh, of hardwood and uh, all the bottles broke. So the dilemma wasn't the taste dilemma, was I uh, miscalculated the uh, concentrate of, um, of, of reconditioning and the beer obviously was undrinkable because it just exploded. I had a moment of panic drink, you know, thinking about what the worst beer I'd ever made was because I thought it might have been a commercial one, but thank goodness it wasn't. It was uh, an amateur one that I made, which was uh, ginger beer made with Molson Canadian yeast in 1985. And I'd done something wrong, and the soda pop bottles that I'd filled and bottle conditioned, started blowing in the basement, blowing up. And I went down into the basement in my uh, snowmobile suit with a visor and an electric drill, and I drilled through the caps of these bottles so they wouldn't blow, and it did not taste good. And it was a hell of a hassle, so that's the worst beer I've made, no question. Good one. Uh, for me, it's... Uh, Maybe not so much a question of, you know, how the beer ended up, but uh, the beer I most resented brewing was uh, Double Coit, which is uh, an historical ale uh, based on a uh, Belgian recipe from hundreds of years ago. It was mainly uh, oats in the grain bill and uh, up to 60%. And so. I knew from the outset that we were gonna have a lot of problems. So we, I say we, but you know, to be honest, it's the brewing staff who deal with all these issues. And it was a, a terrible runoff. And what we ended up with was uh, a gummy mess of the beer. About a third of the beer was set down the drain as just sediment. And uh, the rest of it didn't really clear up very well at all either. But then something nice happened two years down the line where it soured and it could, it could have been, you know, a touch of whatever kind of contaminant and uh, it developed into something other people liked, but I had so much resentment for the, the entire, <laughs> I guess, burden, the, you like know, the whole process that, that of whole honor, the Yeah, the onus of producing it. Um, but I recognize there was value in it too. We, we learned from that as well. So, yeah, you learn from mistakes. And, you know, in, in the end, you, uh, you're grateful for all that learning. What did you learn? What did, what did learned, you learn? Now? I learned two things. <laughs> First of all, be respectful of what you're putting your staff through in terms of your ask um, for you know a brewery that like ours is really mass production right now you know we're at a scale where we're producing a lot of beer so be conscious of that and also um, set your up set yourself up for success and I love it number three I would say it would be the right call. 
Race holes. Race I holes. love them. I'm race all over those race holes now. Yeah. Yeah. Are we talking about favorite adjunct now? Is that? Yeah. No. Okay, we, we'll have, be learning making uh, that we have six or... minutes, guys. So we're going to do one more quick question, and then we're going to open it up to the audience if you guys have any questions. So, see, if you want to break down the last question. Yeah, why not? Which one you want to do? The music? The music? Yeah. What music do you listen to when you brew? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I listen to mainly punk rock and metal. I knew it! <laughs> I feel like you remind me of Dallas Green. Yeah, a little bit. I feel like some city in Colorado. Yes, yes, what? Yes. I do not listen to Dallas Green when I do. <laughs> I will tell you what music I'm listening to, but I'm more curious about what do you think what music I'm listening to. Polka! No, 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 no. no. I reckon you listen to like... Rammstein! Yeah. No, 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 no. Very lost. Lost. I see you were back to the uh, Never Church of Book. Classical. Classical. No. Elvis Costello. Oh, nice. Okay. Elvis good. Costello. That's good. He's the man. He's the man. Sometimes Rammstein, sometimes yeah. Rachmaninoff. Oh, wow. Alliteration. I like that. <laughs> Uncle Matt. Matt, for me, we. Polka. No, okay. No, no, no. NPR. Uh, NPR. No. No. Uh, the jam. Uh, the hip. No. No. Uh, Black flag. Black Sabbath. Uh, Melvin's. So, because we don't have long before Sloan comes Sloan's on. Sloan's coming on, guys. Any, yeah, make some noise for Sloan. Hey, yeah. hey, hey. Uh, does anyone have any audience questions for the panel, sir? Busted. Christian. Oh my god. Uh, you mentioned earlier about uh, craft and how it's the wrong nomenclature for what's happening these days. Where would you go with that? Um, could you repeat, repeat the, the question? question? Repeat the question. Yeah, so, so, so what I heard is um, I did mention that there's a nomenclature around craft and the definition of craft and where would you go with that? That's what I heard. Yes. Um, and my issue with Putting everything under craft means that for the you know general public, craft means something, and everything that isn't craft means something else. And uh, and yet everybody else that is within the industry considers craft to be it's a craft brewery or it's somebody that you know brews in small batches and whatever. And the reality is we all have a very different definition of craft. And I'm going back to authenticity, yeah? authentic brewing, authentic intent, authentic vision, um, really trying to put something that has more meaning to everything else. Now that's my subjective view on things, but uh, um, I think we, we can all get polarized by, you know, craft, non-craft, big brewery, small brewery, and the reality is the, uh, the gradient is very different. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Same question. Number two, number two is for uh, both uh, Matt and Michael. Michael. It's the where we are in the, the industry now, where there's 300 or so different breweries in Ontario alone. You guys have been in the industry for a long time. How do you how do you still find a way to compete and make great beers that are relevant? when everybody is trying to do something that's in the moment and right now and how do you how do you still do something that big and still and still not just do something that's for the moment 
Sure. Yeah, the so, question is, oh, sorry. <laughs> You know, in, in the face of such competition these days, um, when we opened there were uh, 40 breweries in Ontario, now there are 280, uh, four years later, how do you keep going, I guess? Um, I feel fortunate in that the three, at least three of the beers we make are really time-tested, and I think they're all very different. And I think people will come back to those beers when they're tired of the flavor of the day. Mm. Mm. Um, having said that, we have a sales force that have to be kept primed, right? And, and they're very conscious that they have to have, you know, the latest this or that. They're always asked, you know, if you want to get on tap here, what have you got that's new? So you got to do a bit of that too. But um, otherwise, I feel that people will come back, ultimately, to the beers that we make. Here, here. I'm, uh, I'm of the same mindset in the sense that, you know, uh, I feel traditional beers, that's really a lot of where our wheelhouse is right now. But, um, we're also innovative, so um, I think we take a balanced approach between the two. Uh, we concentrate, I think, largely on very traditional styles, but we're not afraid to do forays into something that's more ex experimental and see how it plays out. Um, we're, you know, uh, a large enough entity that it's really difficult to turn on a dime and follow every trend immediately, but I think part of my goal as a brewer is to not uh, get behind a trend, but set it. Yes. Hey. Could you drop hey, the mic one more time, maybe? Legacy, <laughs> legacy. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm leading off that, quest, that response, I'm just wondering, in terms of the legalization of cannabis, do you think that, like, how would that perhaps influence uh, your brewing creativity and possible future? Rolling stars. Is there a Bose cannabis beer in the world? <laughs> <laughs> it's what, it's like what a really weed, awesome. a weed tread? A weed tread? You guys got a weed tread fan? So to weed tread. that question for Bose, uh, the question was, uh, you know, with the advent of legalization, are we going to see cannabis uh, products uh, be manifested in beer? In the verse. Uh, the Please. answer to that is uh, absolutely yes. Woo! Woo! You grew it. You, you grew it. You grew sure, it. That's going to happen. Um, for you us, grew it. In, in particular, uh, I, I, I'm waiting to hear more. You know, like I, we're at, we're at a crossroads right now, and uh, I don't know where it's going to lead. Um, I, I'd like to quickly come in and say uh, alcohol and cannabis does not mix. No, no it doesn't. Yeah, it does not mix. And it doesn't make one right, it doesn't make one wrong. Um, but there's many creative ways in how you can produce you know, happiness for, for other side. Um, and I find it very interesting that the, the question is, you know, something new comes and it's this magic, illegal thing and we're going to make it illegal, whatever. 
for me it's all bullshit, okay? Because it's not yes. just because, yes. not just because it's gonna become legal, it's gonna be better or worse, whatever. Uh, it's like anything else. Um, it all depends. It all depends on you. It all depends on how it's gonna be produced. It all depends on the purity. It all depends on so many things. So let's not get polarized and politicized by the ingredients. Let's all be a little bit smarter about how we feel about it, how we want it, how it's gonna be the right way. And I'm sure that um, if this is Bose or anybody else, we're gonna find the right way. Yeah. Yes. Alcohol and cannabis are not mixing, and there are so many. Every almost every jurisdiction around the world has, uh, has recognized that. Um, how do you make a beer that's dealcoholized with cannabis active ingredients in it that actually tastes good? Because I have I have an issue with um, dealcoholized beers. Most of them don't taste that great. We've had a couple of recent uh, exceptions to that. One of them is Partake in Toronto. That's because it has a decent amount of hop in it. But um, the problem is making a non-alcoholic beverage from that's based on beer that has uh, uh, active ingredients from cannabis in it. Is that part of the uh, part of the law? It has to be dealcoholized. The law is that if cannabis can only be in in a in non-alcoholic beverage or um, marijuana plant uh, components can can be in beer as long as they don't contain any THC or So it's, it's, not, it's not a question of um, should it be or shouldn't it be. It's a, it's a matter of um, you know what 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 um, how, how your body actually reacts to that. Yeah? One one is calming, one is relaxing, one is you know making it for etc. And anything you digest is is highly subjective to your own digestive or metabolism and that's that's part of the dilemma. Do we have any other questions from the, or any other answers from that for that question that wanted to uh, pipe up? I could go on a really big rant about this. <laughs> but I feel like we're getting out of time so I'm not yeah. going to. Okay, we'll uh, we'll take it off a rant. Last question it's not even a question, it's more, it's more of a statement because Bose, I visited you guys two years ago and my father gave me, as we were moving out, a beer bottle from you guys from an Oktoberfest from 2013 and it was still cats. And speaking about the change of culture and influence and taste, sometimes it actually it's nice to sit back and enjoy something and I actually took a Bose beer that was five years old two weeks ago and I cracked it open and I must say some things age beautifully with time so I give you guys that compliment Open bar. Yeah. Open bar. I didn't thank say you that. all for your thank signing. You. I didn't say that. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you. It's only like five minutes. Slow so. like already setting up right now. So. It's setting up there. The yeah. Um, so guys, thank you so much for coming. If you, uh, This is for the uh, audio and the video version of the recording. If you enjoyed the episode, mate, smash the thumbs up. Hit subscribe below. Hit the notification bell, Scotty. Ding! Next one drops. Follow us on social media at BOS Podcast. Check out the room for more videos so you can hear beautiful, attractive gentlemen like these guys.
Talk to us on that. That's it, guys. Let's enjoy our Fest. Have a good night. Cheers. Yeah.